Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nate Cashdan. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. You're close to whether it's a marriage, whether it's just a, a friendship, um, a, some sort of family relationship or family dynamic where you've walked through where something has happened and some sort of love bond has been broken. Yes? Am I, yes? Okay. It's hard. What you find out in those things is you find out whose love is conditional and whose love is not. Okay? You find out what type of love you were either being loved by or what type of love you were loving with. Right? Was it agape? Was it unconditional love? Because that's the love that Christ loves you with and the same love that he said love as I've loved you. It's the same love that he says we love because he first loved us. It's the, same, it's the same love that he's asking us to release to the world. Was it like brotherly love? Or like, yeah, I love you because you're a fellow human. Okay? I'm not going to go into the love sermon right now. I'm just saying. Or the different types, I mean. But we cannot let our love become conditional. Uh, I'm afraid. I know that some of mine has. And I think if we're honest, maybe some of ours collectively has. It's kind of a heavy word I'm going to just release in the next few minutes, but um, I want you to know that there's going to be time to respond. <laughs> so don't feel like you have to hold in whatever I hope the Lord just releases in you or shows us in the next few minutes. It's really not easy to love people. Did you know that ministry would be so simple if it weren't for people? Seriously, actually, everything would be easy if it weren't for people, right? But thank God for people. Yeah. Do you know why? Because you're, you're a person, right? right when, here's what I do. When I'm having trouble loving someone and it's brought to my attention, usually by the Holy Spirit or Kaylee, if I'm having, <laughs> if I'm having trouble loving someone, I usually, I usually try to humble myself and go, well, what makes you so special? You're pretty hard to love sometimes too. I know I'm a, I know I'm, I know I'm a handful. I know that. I thanked Kaylee last night for being my wife again. I said, I know I'm a lot, hun. She goes, I'm a lot too. I said, I'm not trying to be rude, hun, but I'm more. <laughs> like, like I, like I can handle all your stuff. Like I have a hard time handling my stuff. So I know it must be hard for you. All right. So here's the point I'm trying to make. John writes this, 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 he admonishes the church in the midst of persecution, false teachers, lies, confusion, and church splits. If you study this out, you realize that what Gnosticism was doing is it was taking a thriving church and destroying it because the thriving church was brand new and it was filled with a lot of brand new believers, brand new believers that were just beginning to be discipled and the leadership had one of the problems they were facing and the reason why they were creating deacons and deaconesses and doing all these things because they didn't have enough people to meet all the needs and to pastor everybody, okay? There weren't enough seasoned believers. There weren't enough people that were with Jesus to pass on the things that Jesus told them to pass on. So they were like, they're just you know, going as fast as they can, talking to as many people as they can, leading the best they can, all the while trying to still make a living and do all these things. And so they, they, 
but he writes, so what happens is the church actually starts to blow up and split and people walk away from the faith and doing all these things. And so John writes, well, we need to love. You got to put on love. And he writes, he writes, I know you've heard it said, but let me remind you, we got to love. And how many people read this and went, yeah, 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 but what else do we do? Yeah, 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 but how do we get them back? Yeah, 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 but how do we know if it's false or true? Yeah, 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 how do we know? No, don't, don't go to the yeah, yeah, yeah. All that other stuff is valid, and we'll get there. But as Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, if we have all these other things and we don't love, yeah. you're just basically a clanging symbol. You're just making noise. We're living in a very similar time that, this, that the church that John wrote this letter to was living in. It looks a little different, and I get it. And I'm not trying to deduce what we need to do to one thing, okay? Don't hear that. Don't hear that. All we need to do, like, I hate that. It's like, well, if we would only just, it's usually not that simple. It's usually not that simple. There are some, there are some basics and some foundations and some, some things that, like, yes, if we do this, we know that we're not going to strike out. But it's always multifaceted. That's the reason why so many of you have so many different gifts and why we're called the body of Christ and not the finger of Christ, okay? Because we can't all be the finger. <laughs> you knew people were like, is this guy a pastor? <laughs> when God told me, that, when God called, God called me, I guess, I don't even, I don't know if I've been called to ministry yet, but <laughs> it'll... Because I don't know what it looks like, and I don't have a piece of paper or anything. But, anyways, the when God, I felt like God was saying you need to be a pastor. I was like, "Do you know me?" He's like, "Yes." What? (laughs) All right, bring it back in. We're living in a very similar time as this church. Lies, heresy, evil—these things are creeping into the church. We worry about them enough in the world, right? You look outside and you're like, look, look, look. And then when you start looking in the church and you're like, oh my gosh, how did that make it in here? The church is like the last place you'd want these things to show up. But then you look back in scripture and see that this is not a new problem either. But, but if you think about it, what has, what has the devil always wanted? Control and power. Okay. So what are you seeing as one of, the, as one of the, the motivations for those that are bringing the greatest persecution on the church? What do they want? Control and power. Should we be surprised? It's the same old stuff. Okay? It's the same old stuff. Don't be surprised. Usually, the things that creep into the church don't happen overnight. Kyle doesn't get up here and be like... Today, we're supporting homosexuality, <laughs> right? And everybody in the church is like, okay, we're on board. Pastor said it. We're gonna, it doesn't creep in like that. That's not how it happens. Okay, these false teachers they, that, were, that, Paul, that John is writing to these churches to help kind of correct and sort these things out, these false teachers weren't getting up and blowing up the church. Right. They were starting with little things. It usually doesn't start with a, with a pastor or leader. It usually doesn't. It usually starts with, with, with the body. A couple people come in with an idea, they start talking, have a home group, they go to lunch, and then 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 they go to lunch, okay? And then the gossip train starts, and then pretty soon, you end up leaving room in the church for uh, things that are damaging, okay? 
you end up hearing critical race theory in people's and the pastor's sermons because he wants to please the people that are on his board that are embracing it, and he doesn't want them to leave because their tithe is really big. Okay? If you don't know what critical race theory is, let me sum it up for you. If you're white, you're always an, acu- or an accuser, an oppressor, and if you're black, you're always a victim. That's basically what it is. There's way more to it than that, but it doesn't matter. You end up, you end up with pastors and, and leaders that are like, well, these, these really influential families told us that, that to really love people, we need to support all types of marriage and all types of love, whatever anyone says that love is. And so we have to, if Jesus probably would have, Jesus probably didn't face these issues that we're facing today. <laughs> so so we just gonna, we're just going to embrace it. And you see this happen over time where they'll actually change their statement of beliefs for their church. Because they're like, well, we don't, I mean, we want, I've heard it said, well, well they're going to start to accuse us of hate speech so we want to be able to continue to preach the gospel. So we're going to say these things are okay. To, and then we're just going to hope that the Lord changes their heart. I'm like, that's great. The example they see is that you're compromising. No. The, the example they need to see is you standing on the truth. No fear of man. These things don't creep into the church overnight. Feminism made its way into the church years ago. Don't hear me wrong. If you know me personally, you know I'm the greatest supporter of women in ministry. Amen. You know that I believe that they can preach, teach, whatever. <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm saying, okay? I believe that the three corrections that the Apostle Paul brought in the New Testament were addressing three very specific things that were going wrong in the church. And they're not, it's not you're forbidden to speak in the church because you're a woman, okay? That's junk. But what feminism did is it gave men permission to stop being men. Okay? What feminism did is it, is it, taught, it taught women that it was okay for their husband to stop leading their house. It taught men that it was okay for them to just take a back seat and not be spiritual leaders anymore. Okay? That made its way into the church over time. It's a lie. We have to get it out. We have to correct it. False unity. False unity made its way into the church over time. Unity is not accepting everyone's relative truth. That is not unity, okay? Unity isn't putting aside all conviction and truth so that we can hold hands and smile. That's not unity. Unity is putting aside things that don't matter, not putting aside things that do matter, okay? False unity brought us a false church movement called the Unitarian Church, Unity Church, or Unitarian Universalists, or whatever you want to call it. They, whatever basically says, whatever way that you say you want to get to God, we support that. That's horrible. What if your kid came to you with a broken arm, and he's like, well, I just want to leave it. And you're like, I support that. <laughs> yeah. Love you. I, don't, I love you, and that's why I'm going to let you heal wrong and get infection. Yeah, I love you. Don't forget that. I love you, buddy. That's, that's, what, that's what this Unitarian movement is, false unity. But they do it when you, when, you take a, when you take a word from Scripture, it says, I pray, when Jesus prayed, I pray that you would be one as I and the Father are one. Yes, right? John 15 through 17, right? He's, it's the upper room discourse. He's talking to his friends right before he goes to the cross. I pray that you would be one as I and the Father are one. 
And it says that we want to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's talking about laying down things that do not matter to unify around the things or the one who does matter. If you can unify around Jesus and the fact that he alone is God and there is no other pathway to the Lord, it's only through him. If you can unify around that, then we're getting somewhere. The things that we lay down, the things that we lay down that, that are, I'm not saying they don't matter at all, but the things that are not of critical importance, right? If we can lay down those things, that's unity. If I stood up here in December of 2019 and told you everything that was going to take place, which by the way, nobody did, right? told you everything that was going to take place that took place and is taking place in the last 18 months or so, you wouldn't believe me. You would not believe me. If I stood up here and told you that pastors would close down their church because the government told them they had to, you'd be like, no, they wouldn't. Nope. If I stood up here and told you that pastors would stand up and start teaching things like critical race theory in their pulpits. First of all, you'd be like, what's critical race theory? I've never heard of it before. And then you'd be like, no, it's not going to happen. If I told you that pastors and leaders in churches would endorse government leaders who are openly supporting and funding baby murder, you wouldn't believe it. That churches would split over issues like vaccines, I'm not saying it's not an issue. I'm just saying you wouldn't believe me. But it happened and it's happening. 20 years ago, just stay tuned for a couple more minutes here. 20 years ago, my dad, who at least at the time wouldn't call himself a prophet, he's probably listening this morning, but I think what he said was very prophetic. He told me that within my lifetime, that bestiality would become known as an alternate lifestyle. And he said, I don't know which one will happen first or if it will happen while you're alive, but I believe that child molestation won't be called that anymore. It'll just be called an alternate lifestyle. This is back when that term alternate lifestyle got coined to deal with, with homosexuality. Homosexuality was largely unspoken of um, until about 20 years ago. Maybe I mean, in different pockets here and there, you saw it, heard it, definitely in movies and things like that. But that was the buildup to it being normalized and celebrated in culture to where now there's a whole month. Fathers get a day, mothers get a day, gay people get a month. We've definitely swung the pendulum he told me bestiality would be normal, be an accepted alternate lifestyle, and that, and that sleeping with children would be known as an alternate lifestyle. And the reason why I think he was right, there's a, net, there's a couple Netflix movies that came out in the last couple of years. I don't know if you noticed them or not. I'm not going to tell you what the names of them are. I'm not going to give them any airspace. But one of them celebrates um, 
over-sexualizing children. And one of them celebrates two humans conceiving a half-human, half-animal hybrid. And they're, they're kids, and fa- they're like family movies. They're like, yeah, that's so cool. And, they're, and the, I've, I've seen the previews for both. And they're, they're moving music, dramatic scene change. I mean, it's very well done. Lots of money got poured into these. And I'm telling you right now that we are being teed up to start accepting this in culture. It's already accepted by a lot of people. It's already, both of the things that I mentioned are already accepted by certain groups of people in this country. We're being teed up to start accepting it as the church. We got teed up in the 80s to start accepting homosexuality in the church. And now it's accepted in many churches. When I say accepted, I'm not talking about not accepting the people. Don't hear that. You guys know we love people, period. I just said we love them unconditionally. Not if they don't meet the condition of their sex, of who they decide to have sex with or whether or not. We love people because they're people. Okay? But we do not change what the Bible says is right and wrong. And we are being conditioned to change. So we have to have our eyes open. We have to be ready. I know it's a heavy topic. It's not a feel-good thing. But if we don't say it, who's going to say it? Okay? Because there are a lot of loud voices right now. So you have to be louder. People are like, what are we going to do? Raise your voice. I don't know. Because, Because how do we respond to all this? We do a lot of things. But the point is, and the point that John was trying to make here in this, is that we have to respond with love in all that we do. In every way that we choose to respond, we have to put on love. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, you can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can heal the sick, you can raise the dead, you can do all this stuff. But if you're not loving, you might as well just go around and go, blah, 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 and make noise because it's, it's pointless. And, the, and then John, but John says it right here specifically to the church who's facing a crisis of persecution, of false teaching, of evil, of confusion, of all these things coming in and creeping their way in. And John says, you need to remember to love. So am I going to deduce our answer to just love? No, but I'm going to deduce our answer to we have to start there and finish there. And you're going to mess up, and you have to be able to forgive yourself and move on and do it better next time. You choose to stand on truth and not compromise. Love is an action. It's something that you do. Love is not a feeling. There are feelings associated with it, both good and bad sometimes. But love is an action. It's a choice. Worship team, you can come back up. You're like, I thought preaching the gospel was good news. The gospel is great news. That's the reason that we can talk about these things is because we know who our Lord is. We know what was accomplished at Calvary 2,000 years ago. We know what we have access to through the blood of Jesus. Yes? We know that we've been made more than conquerors. We know that it is possible for us to not be shaken. If you make a commitment to love well or to love better, 
If you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. If in this response, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're like, Lord, help me to love more. Help me to love better. Because one of the ways that we do that, the way that we do that the best, is by experiencing his love for us more. By getting greater revelation of how he loves us. Because we love because he first loved us. Right? He who has been forgiven much loves much. We get revelation of how he feels about us. It helps us to release that same love to others. So if you ask the Lord, if you come forward this morning and you ask the Lord, Lord, help me to love people. Lord, help me to love the unlovely. Help me to love those who are hard to love. Make me better at loving people. I promise you he's going to send you people that are hard to love. I prayed that prayer, and then he sent me to River in the Hills. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I'm, I'm serious. Don't be afraid of people who are hard to love. Yeah. Because you're not so great yourself. I mean that in, like, the greatest way, right? <laughs> we, are, we all have our stuff, okay? So if we walk around thinking, well, I'm so easy to love. All these people are so difficult to love. Man, that's not what Jesus did. He just broke through and just started loving people. He never even asked any questions. Do you know that? That every time he healed somebody, every time that he, that he cast out a demon, every time that he fed, right, or su- supernaturally fed these huge groups, he didn't ask how deserving they were of it. As a matter of fact, almost everyone was not. Some people were actively living in their sin. They did not come and repent and then get healed. They came and got healed, and then the Lord said, now go sin no more. He didn't wait for them to confess their sins. He didn't wait for them to get cleaned up. He went right at them, right where they were at. Demon-possessed, prostitution, all kinds of extramarital stuff, stealing, Everything. He didn't even see it. And they hadn't even repented yet. He just went right after him. And was like, I love you. I release heaven over you. Would you stand this morning? We can do the same thing. Yes, we need to guard against these things creeping their way into our lives, into our belief systems, into our churches. We, we do have to guard against that. If we're guarding against it without loving people, we're doing it wrong. If you're allowing things, listen, some of the greatest people that I know, the greatest people that I know, some of my greatest friends, love them, love them, love them, have different views than I do about vaccines. I think they're wrong. They think I'm wrong. And it actually doesn't change anything about how we love each other. I have some very, very, very good friends who I love dearly and they love me. They voted for our current president. I did not. We love each other dearly. They don't gossip about me. They disagree with me strongly on several things. I disagree with them strongly on several things. 
there's certain things that we can't do together. I'm serious. But I love him. If you're like me, which maybe you are, maybe you aren't, I, I walk into stores I have for over a year with no mask. I don't care how you feel about masks. Don't come up to me and tell me why you wear one. I don't care. Don't come up to me and tell me why you don't. I don't care. You do what you want. But I, I, I walk into it because I have a personal conviction that it's unconstitutional for them to make me wear one in a public store. That's my personal conviction. I don't care what you think. Because America says that you all get your personal convictions, okay? I've been confronted by a lot of people. I've been called a lot of names, okay? I've I've been whatever. But you can't let that change the way that you see people. Just like I would hope that if somebody who had a 180-degree different view on masks than I did, who was a brother in Christ, ran into me in Home Depot, that they wouldn't verbally assault me and call me a murderer. And I would also hope that I wouldn't laugh. (laughs) Because that was my reaction most of the time. But honestly, if you can't say something nice, laugh. That's how that saying goes, right? My point, I I don't mean to, to belabor the point. I'm saying this is obviously an issue with every person in America. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows that there's people that you don't call anymore because they didn't vote like you did. Everyone knows that you don't talk to that neighbor because they had a Biden sign in their lawn. Everybody knows that when when I wear all my gear, right, my pro-freedom, get well, we don't want to talk to Nate about it. He's going to get all freedom on us. Listen, I'm loud. Maybe you're not loud. I'm I'm not quiet about the thing, and I'm not going to share things from the pulpit that I don't believe should be shared, but I definitely will if I feel like they should. You can come and talk to me if you have questions about my personal views or opinions, and I'll decide then if I want to share them with you. But if we let the devil steal relationships from us, then we have no more access to people. And people is, is, is the second reason why we're on the planet. The first reason is to love and glorify God. And the second is to release his kingdom to people. When it says release it on earth, what is the earth made up of? People. We don't necessarily need, I know there's argument. Don't argue with me. You don't necessarily release it to the trees. Okay? I understand we're supposed to preach to all creation. Don't even go there. The point is, If we sever ties with people, we have no way to love people. Love is an action, and if I have severed a tie with Kyle, I cannot actively love him. I can't give him a gift, he won't receive it. I can't give him a word of affirmation, he won't hear it. If I sever ties with people, I have no way into their lives. Now, it is never before in history been as hard as it is now to keep ties with people. Never, never has it been harder than it is right now. Never has there been more hatred or animosity or backbiting or gossip or any of those things than there is right now. 
got to get that junk out of the church because we are the ones that have the answer to all the world's questions. Have you noticed when you look around to what I believe are healthy churches, churches that are telling the truth, who are not compromising, who are not bowing the knee to culture or government, okay? It's one thing to honor your leaders. It's another thing to bow to their ridiculous mandates that they think they can make, okay? If we look around and we see churches that are looking at Jesus and saying, what are you doing? What are you saying? We're just humbling ourselves before you because we don't know how to navigate these times and we need you. Look at those churches. They're all experiencing growth. Why? Because the answers that the world gives are not satisfactory anymore. We've been able to kind of make it, right? People have been able to kind of just make it and tread water with those answers for decades. They're not good anymore. Every single time when you look back in history, when there's a revival that happens and an awakening, that was the condition. The world's answers weren't any good anymore. So if we compromise and stop giving the Lord's answer and start to use a little bit of the world's answer, then we're just telling them what they're hearing everywhere else. What makes us so special? If we try to cover, like, well, Jesus is offensive and... Jesus isn't going to like, like have you, this guy's transgender. Like he was born a guy and now he's dressed like a girl and he had the surgery. And he's got boobs and all these things. Like, what do we do? Like, I don't know. He might get offended if I tell him about Jesus. But we might go to hell if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him how God sees him. I know these things are difficult to navigate in the moment, but you can do it because you have the Holy Spirit. We can do it because we have the Holy Spirit. That's what John says. He says, this is how you'll know because you'll have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just, the, I, hate, I hate the term, the altar's open. It's always open. You can always come to it all the time. But I just encourage you, if you want the Lord... If you need to leave, you can, you're totally free to go. They're, again, love you, bless you. If you have plans or something like that, you can go. And in a couple minutes, it, it, it's, if I'm finished praying, if you have kids in the kids' class, go get them and bring them back so that we can relieve the, the teachers. But I just encourage you right now, if you want insight into how the Lord feels about you and how the Lord feels about people and the great love that he has for you, the great love that he has for people that are in your sphere of influence, I want you to come forward. You can just come right now. Prayer teams, you can hold back. Or if you want to come forward and receive, that's fine. But we're not going to have formal prayer for people right now. I just want people to encounter Jesus right now. And that the way that we are going to be able to release greater levels of his love is by encountering it personally more and more and more. The way that I'm going to be able to love more is by knowing how much I'm loved. If you want to step into a greater measure of that, please come forward. I'm going to let the worship team sing over you real quick, and then we'll just keep flowing with the Lord. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, Please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.